I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm Patrick Biermeyer. I'm Christopher Jerome, and uh, you're listening to Spoiler Country. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on SpoilerVerse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Join the cult of the Spoilerverse and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Johnny Horsley and Kendrick Ring is not here because he is exhausted and I figured I would just do without him and let him take a nap. But today on the show, well, it's the guys of Discordia. It's Chris and Patrick coming on to talk with me about their current Kickstarter and it's a horror themed comic book. You can actually read on webtoons the first three stories. It makes up their issue zero here, but check out their issue zero because you get it in the full on full on page format. And I've already backed it. I was their first factor. I backed it at the uh, a page level. So I'm going to get an actual original art piece, which is going to be awesome. You should go check it out and back it. There's going to be show notes down below, but also just go to Kickstarter and search for Discordia. You'll find it there. But without further ado, let's just get into it and listen to myself talk with the Discordia gang, you know, Chris and Patrick. Let's do it. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we are joined with Patrick and Chris. They have a comic coming out on Kickstarter that you can read online. It's called Discordia. It looks fantastic. I had a chance to peruse through the art and the story. And I got to say, guys, I, I rather enjoy what, enjoyed what I saw. Um, awesome. So why don't you guys, one Thank of you, you pick, who, pick, pick your poison here, but which one of you wants to give the quick like elevator pitch of what the book's about? I think Chris has uh, to do the elevator pitch. That's <laughs> You've made me do the elevator pitch every time. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't break tradition now. It looks like. Have you no. drawn an elevator before? No. no I, try, <laughs> I try to avoid that kind of thing. Ooh, straight lines are hard. Uh, all right. <laughs> um, so Discordia is a horror comic. It is set in a secondary world. Um, kind of the gist is that this continent was in the midst of a world war, a a fascist government rose to power and almost took over everywhere. And then something happened that caused society to fall apart. Reality shifted and, uh, a bunch of Lovecraftian monsters kind of came into the picture. And so the, the main thrust of the story is picking up a couple decades later when everything is now called Discordia because, the original government was referred to as the Concord. And now that that no longer exists, everything is chaos. Um, 
the zero issue that we are kickstarting is currently three shorts that kind of world build and and get you primed for the real issue one that's going to come down the road following an ongoing plot nice nice so it has nothing to do with discord the chat app got it i'm still confused <laughs> no yeah definitely not <laughs> no i'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> that's cool that's, that's a cool concept how'd you come up with that concept oh man so it, it was one of those weird things where um sometimes i get some of the coolest ideas when i am like half asleep you know it's, right. it's not not quite a dream but not all the way awake um i was i was hanging out with my toddler he was just like playing in his room and i was basically like napping on his floor <laughs> i've been there, <laughs> been there. I just kind of stumbled into this whole idea um i think i was i was reading a lot of hellboy at the time and i was um thinking about how I kind of wish that they'd actually focused more on the occult side of the Nazis because it made for such an intriguing villain that really gets dispatched fairly quickly. And then that's that kind of blossomed into, okay, what if we had this world that was dominated by this fascist government with this these occult leanings? And then um, it kind of grew from there because uh, primarily I'm a fantasy author with uh, novels and short stories and stuff. And so I wanted to approach this with like a level of intricacy to world building that you would expect in a fantasy work. Um, we've got a pretty awesome map that we had commissioned by uh, Rilaris maps that um, is cooler than any map I have for any of my fantasy stuff, honestly. And <laughs> you know, this, this world has got a lot of depth to it. And so that's kind of my, from the writing side, my focus is, Hey, what can I do to make this feel like a real world? That's not our world but still a great setting for horror. Nice. That's awesome. It's really, that's really cool. So, um, Patrick, the art real quick, what, what goes through your mind when you're making this art? Cause it's not normal comic book art. It's very visceral. It's very messy, but not messy. So what? what yeah, well it can be, it's messy. I think that's, <laughs> that's reasonable. It's messy, but um, it's messy, but not, not ununderstandable, right? You can tell what's going on, but like the messiness adds to the atmosphere. Yeah, well, good. I'm glad you think so. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it's not you know that that's to some extent just just the way that I that I work, and so this happens to just be a very good fit for my style, um, which I think is something that that Chris also like wrote in to the story as as he was like working on it, and it's also been cool because he's. Um, we're co-creators on this one, so we've worked before, uh, just off of having uh, Chris doing the script and the story and stuff. Um, and so on this on this book, we've had a chance to go back and forth, and I've been able to lean into that that style. and And the shorts in particular were just little um, excuses to go totally gonzo and be like, "Oh, what's a cool concept for a little short that will be, you know, totally out there and insane and really fun to draw." And, I, and hope fun to write too for Chris. Um, <laughs> so this was a really good like opportunity to just lean in and go crazy with it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you guys have it up on webtoons, and I have to ask the question. I did. I did web comics for uh, God from 03 to twenty sixteen. Um, and webtoons wasn't really a thing when I was doing web comics, like the, on those those webtoons and tapas and stuff like that. Because um, mm-hmm. the, and, the, and the format's different than a regular comic, right? Because it's not a they're not pages; it's scrolling basically vertical. Yeah. How, how does that play into taking this and transferring that to an actual comic page? Do you have to create the pages twice, or are you creating them in a manner of what you can do both pretty easily? 
Well, actually, <laughs> so so Patrick's making a normal comic page, and then I have the unenviable task of going in and just like cropping the shit out of it, yeah. <laughs> just cutting up his amazing layouts and artwork into little <laughs> little panels that I can fit into this vertical scroll. So, like, that's a probably the best reason besides the fact that you like it and you want to give us money so we make more but like back the kickstarter so you can actually see the art in the original way that it's meant to be seen <laughs> because we've got some there's like a really cool splash page in the last short that's actually not on webtoon yet that'll come out on launch day um for the kickstarter but there's some splash pages and just a bunch of cool full page spreads and stuff that you really lose on the webtoon because I have to like cut this one gigantic panel into like four and put it in the vertical format. So you take it in one little piece at a time and <laughs> you, you really do lose something. Yeah. I saw it. It's a splash page that the, that the one you guys posted on um, Twitter. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fucking beautiful page, man. <laughs> oh, thanks dude. Yeah. It was a, it was a fun one to do for sure. But yeah, I always feel uh, really bad as I'm like laying out the panels and stuff. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, I don't, I don't know how Chris is going to put this into Webtoons, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure this is what we have to do here. <laughs> so essentially, Webtoons, yeah, I, Webtoons is like the like the the little taste preview, but the comics where you actually get the real the, the real full story because you have all the art. Correct. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. And um, so there's there's three shorts, hopefully four if we hit our first stretch goal. Uh, two of the shorts are on Webtoon right now as we're recording, but uh, probably by the time you're listening to this, the third will be there. And that third one, um, the Plague Bearers, is all like a World War One, World War Two mix of like trench warfare and stuff, uh, with an alien invasion that lands right in the middle and kind of fucks everybody over. <laughs> um, some monsters, you know, for good yes, measure. Pretty cool monsters show up. Um, but for that one, like. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, I, I wrote it with big fat quotes there, but it was basically like, hey, here's the concept. There's going to be three speech bubbles in the whole thing. I was like, I just <laughs> wanted to come up with a premise so Patrick could just like go to town. And then he was like, hey, I really want to do a full two-page like splash page here. And I'm like, do it. And then, I mean, came out with the coolest spread in the whole book. Yeah, it's so. like, sometimes it's nice to just let, let, let the artist uh... – breathe their pencil out. I guess is the best way to say it. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Patrick, do you work primarily digitally or do you do you pencil first and then uh, scan in and, and work on, on the computer? Yeah. Yeah. So it's primarily traditionally. So I do both pencils and inks traditionally. Nice. Um, and then scan and then do the color. Um, and I've only kind of recently started doing the color, which um, has been fun. I did a book um, called lifeline as well, which is my first actual foyer into doing, any any coloring professionally like i had done some some paintings and stuff to have as like pinups and posters for shows but mm -hmm. i hadn't done any like sequential pages um so then the frowning man was the second one that i did which was uh was really really cool it was fun to work color it, it always kind of freaked me out in the past but um especially on horror a lot of the color can just be really vivid and like create a mood which i guess as a big horror fan i'm very comfortable with so that was like an easier way to to get into doing doing the coloring myself oh that's cool uh we had uh nender fox on the show back when lifeline was going up <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah very cool <laughs> i was like i know that title i know that title <laughs> 
Yeah, so that's so those spoilers. Those were my first color pages. On uh, so now <laughs> on we know the book. truth. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a pretty cool book too. I liked the um, I liked the multitude of artists for the different periods of his life. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know. Yeah, that was a cool one. I backed that Kickstarter. Yeah, it was a super cool concept. We had a I, I had a I have a, I have a book that I just put out that's kind of not similar. In like it's similar to the fact that it has multiple artists and multiple characters in the storyline, but it's not like one guy's life. It's like the book that I wrote is one family throughout a thousand years, right? With different people doing different sections of the time. Nice. And, yeah, um, yeah, very cool. Yeah, we had a good, we had a good time talking about that with, on the on that one. I was like, hey, it's kind of similar to what I just did. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that sounds very sweet. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, so uh, Chris, let's talk about your writing writing style here for a sec. Um, when you write these scripts out, are you writing them out just like you mentioned the one the one you did with the, the for the art was just like. A concept, but in general, are you writing full script? Are you writing, you know, are you writing um, thoughts out and then finishing it, you know, as the art comes through? Um, yeah, it's actually, yeah, it's like a, it's a hybrid script. I feel like so. Uh, Patrick and I's first couple collaborations was for my fantasy series. Um, he did some concept art for me because we went to the same. Um, we both went to OSU and nice. met up through a Facebook group that's trying to get jobs for people in my major. And I was just like, hey, I need a you know concept artist and I want to kind of keep it in-house at the university. And we went and had some beers and hit it off. Um, and we did, which we successfully kickstarted, um, a graphic novel called Tarnished um, that is set in my world it's part of the series it's just like a standalone story but it was this it was really fun it was something i'd always like had in the back of my mind like i really want to do a comic in my world um so it was because it was still very much my baby with my novel series i was a little more like hey i think this page needs to have this many panels and i each panel is is this you know um I still, of course, always defer to the artist because I understand it's a collaborative medium. If he's like, hey, I think this would work better or I'm going to have to squeeze a couple extra panels in, I'm like, go for it. You're the visual artist. You know, I, This is just what I had in my mind. But going into Discordia, because it's, um, I wanted us to feel like truly co-creators so I don't have any panel descriptions whatsoever. I just, almost like a movie screenplay, I've got the dialogue, I've got the stage direction and like, you know, here's what the action is. And then maybe if in my head, I'm like, okay, I think we need a close up panel of, you know, the vampire fangs or, or whatever the case may be. I'll, I'll put that in there, but otherwise I leave it all the layouts up to him. And then when the pages come back, then I kind of give my script another pass to see if, Hey, now that I see the art, maybe some of the dialogue shifts around or I can delete a couple things that are a little extraneous. So there's more of a fluid workflow to it, um, but I think that makes it feel a little more organic. And um, I don't know. I just I really like this process more than what we did before, even because it it, it frees him to come up with some really really cool stuff that I wouldn't come up with because I'm like a you know stick figure drawing kind of guy. So. <laughs> that's a cool that's a cool way to do it. I had I have the problem when I write scripts for people because I'm an artist myself and I usually draw my own stuff. I write sure. when I, and when I write stuff for me, I write my panels like I'm talking to myself when I'm drawing, and so I write them like yeah. super description. <laughs> and then I find when I work with other artists, like sometimes I have one guy that I work with that I've worked with for like ten years who loves it because he's like, you, you do all the work for me. All I have to do is just draw what you say. It's perfect. 
And I've other people who are like, yeah, I'm not going to do any of this. <laughs> and I'm like, that's oh, really? And I'm like, well, not like not quite that bluntly, but essentially like, hey, I think sure, this sure. is, you know, this would be better this way. And I'm like, hey, you're, and I was, I defer to the time we use that. And I was like, well, you're, you're the artist on this. So I defer to you because you're basically, you know, the cinematographer designing how it looks. What I'm writing is a suggestion for the most part. But yeah. I f- sure. That's Sorry, cool. Go ahead. I was just gonna say that that concept of working back and forth is 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 really cool um, because I can see it from from both sides. It'd be a lot of fun to just uh, you know dive in together, essentially se- together but separate of how, of how you create. Because I can imagine when you get these pages back, you're like, wow, that's a lot different than what I thought, or that's a lot better than what I thought. You know, I feel like uh, it's like diving into opposite ends of the pool, swimming <laughs> to the center, high fiving, and then swimming back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very much so. Um, and cause I mean, Patrick comes up with so many awesome ideas too. like, Hey, maybe we should have this happen to the characters instead. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's totally go for that. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like now this story has to come up on every podcast we go on. Um, <laughs> we had a debate for a while about who was more fucked up between the two of us, me for writing this stuff or him for drawing it. And we went on um, imaginary ramblings and he had like, Matt had this tiebreaker. He said, okay, for the frowning man who came up with the breastfeeding scene, because that person is clearly more fucked up. And that was all Patrick. So (laughs) you have to take ownership of those poor little gremlins. So Patrick wins. (laughs) Well, to be fair, you allowed it in the book too. So, I mean. Yeah. Oh, true, 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 true. But it was, yeah, the, the yeah, yeah. I'll own that one. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, on um, Nerds from the Crypt, David like added a further complication. He's like, maybe the readers are more fucked up because we keep coming back to this from that's, you guys. So that's true. Know, we're gonna just throw it all on you guys that are reading and listening. <laughs> hey, if, if people didn't like it, you'd stop making it. Which is their fault. It's clearly their fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Stop feeding the beast, dude. That's Just right. let us die in obscurity. <laughs> <laughs> so, how uh, do you have plans to keep this going? Is it, or is this a, a contained story with a certain number of uh, certain number of stories within it? So, uh, I've got. This is just like a problem with my brain. Is I plan out so far in advance that I'll, I'll never get to everything. Um, I mean, my, my fantasy series, I've, I've probably got three decades worth of writing planned out, um, which I will, I, I'll die before I ever accomplish half of what I plan to. And Discordia is similar. Um, so this first volume is going to follow one set of characters. Um, I don't have a set number of issues yet, but they have a, they have a goal. They're going to go on this odyssey throughout Discordia, travel around and see all kinds of crazy shit as they're trying to find this girl who's immune to the plague that um, you'll all see in the third story that's coming up because the plague is getting weaponized by this secret organization that wants to kind of restore order to the world, but in the worst way possible, of course. (laughs) Uh, And they get hired to go find the, the one person with documented immunity so that they can take her blood, study it, and then find a way to inoculate their faithful and then basically kill everybody else. Um, so, of course, our protagonists aren't really great people because they're tracking down this, this girl <laughs> for these, this horrible end. Um, so when that that arc is done, that'll be like volume one, then some of the threads in volume one will move on to volume two that'll have its own contained story of you know, 20, 30 issues, whatever it, it ends up being. 
but kind of like what uh, the Mignola verse is like with Hellboy, I, I have plans for all kinds of spinoffs, uh, one shots and other things because this world has got so much space and so much history that, um, I mean, it's, it's just, I, we really have built a sandbox that we can kind of play in whenever we want. I mean, we can do prequel stories back before the Concord fell. Um, I've got an idea for some explorers that are going to check out some other continents and see what kind of messed up monsters live down there. Um, you know, at some point we want to have some side series going that all where we'll have some other creative teams, even maybe do the writing and the art. And we're just kind of like, managing from almost like an editor perspective where we're like, Hey, that doesn't really fit with our world building or maybe take it this direction, but still let other people kind of play in the sandbox to really make it like this big shared universe. Nice. Um, so yeah, this, this little zero issue is just like the little seed that I'm hoping is going to like grow into this gigantic tree of horror stories. Yeah. And to further that idea of collaborating and having other creative teams, we, uh, had the opportunity to get some really cool variant covers done for this book. And oh, even nice. just doing that was super fun for me to watch other people um, work on our characters here. And so the idea of expanding that and getting like to do more things like that, it would be really fun. That does sound cool. Have a, the idea of taking your baby and letting, you know, growing it to a spot where you can then have other people take it and, and continue on the story while you just oversee it. That's, that's like, I don't know as a creator myself, it's like the dream of having some, having something get to a spot where other people can work in that sandbox and be like, yes, that's good. No, that's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's really yeah. cool. So how many pages is this first, uh, zero issue you're doing? Um, it is currently 23 pages of story and then we'll have in the physical release. There's going to be the map of course, and some pinups that we had done, um, so it'll be, you know, roughly like a 30 page little book. Um, but that first stretch goal, uh, like I've alluded to a couple times is going to be another, another short, uh, it'll have its own variant cover if we hit that goal too. Um, and that's, that's probably gonna be like a four to five page story. And that one is really like the setup for the ongoing plot. So it, it'll be this interaction between a couple characters that are kind of laying the groundwork for, the quest, so to speak of the ongoing series. And, um, so that, that should be fun. I, and I'm pretty confident that we can, we can hit that and then cram a few more pages into this thing. So this is going to be a, a fairly thick issue as far as, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we're already at that 22 page, like standard mark. And so it'll probably be closer to 30 story pages and then all the bonus material. Nice. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, are you doing a map like in the book or like an actual like map that unfolds and fold out and look at? So, uh, both, um, cool. the, the map will actually be printed in the book. Um, I just love when comics do that. Like I'm reading the last God right now and their little map at the back that has mm-hmm. like the little blood drops or whatever showing where the characters have been going. I just think that is so awesome. So, um, that's definitely going to be in the comic itself, but, uh, there's going to be like a little, like 11 by 17 or something size poster that comes with every physical backer tier with the Kickstarter just as an added perk, because I think the map is that cool that yeah. having it blown up a little bit bigger that, you know, 
someday I'm hoping somebody will tweet at us and be like, oh, I've got your map on my wall. And then I'll <laughs> you know, be like, oh, we have one real fan. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, mom. The um, map is very nice, though. Yeah, really true. thanks. You can do a nice cloth map, you know, me go all fancy on it. <laughs> yeah, 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 that yeah, could yeah. be cool. Yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah. That would be cool. Well, as a big Tolkien fan, I've always been a sucker for maps. So maps, <laughs> people <laughs> underestimate how cool having a map of your story is in a book or comic. Because it, it not only is it just cool to look at, but it allows you to interact more with the story because you can look at it and say, "Oh, this is where they're at, and they're going this far." And I don't know. I've always, yep. I've always very much enjoyed when when stories include a map of some kind or some kind of map-like aspect that I can put more grounding into the story as far as like. Re, you know, reality of what it is. Cause you can, you can then judge, Oh, they, you know, they moved this far. They've gone from here to here. And it's, it seems more real, even though, you know, it's not real cause it's all ridiculous, but even though you know, it feels more yeah. real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it just speaks to the amount of world building that Chris is doing. Like that is something that I always find really daunting when I'm trying to do um, any, any kind of writing. Um, because I, I really, <laughs> I feel like it's really important for a world to feel real, you know, like as absurd as the rules of that world are when you're storytelling in it, you have to, you know, establish those parameters and then live like ride or die by them. Um, and it's really stuff like that really helps. And the more grounded in the world of the story you're telling and or reading the better. In my opinion, I agree. I would hundred percent agree. Um, within your Kickstarter, are you guys doing any interesting rewards? Yeah. Um, let me, I got that tab pulled up. <laughs> uh, so of course we're doing like a digital PDF for just like five bucks, but even though you can read it for free on Webtoon, backing at the PDF level, you get to see the spreads. So obviously that one's that one's still important. Um, you can get the standard cover for ten uh, with the physical copy that's going to come with the map. Uh, Fifteen will get you any of the variants, so you, you pick which variant you want. Um, Forty-five, you get all the covers. So I've a couple indie comic Kickstarters that I followed that had several variants. They all seem to have had a pretty successful like cover collector level because comic collectors sometimes is controversial as variants are in the, you know, mainstream comic industry. I feel like with indie comics, they're, they're just kind of fun because you yeah. get to get a piece of art from all these different artists. Um, they look so nice. They look so nice. <laughs> they do. I, I, um, I'm like so excited to see them actually like awesome bagged and boarded with my other <clears throat> comics. Like that's, I'm just that's, that's I'm super cool. excited. For that's that. the coolest part right there is seeing <laughs> them in your hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 75 bucks. You can get an actual original penciled page. So like Patrick was saying earlier, all the original pages are penciled and inked <clears throat> on paper and you can actually get one of those originals to keep, which is I think something kind of cool because when we've gone to shows and stuff in the past, he's got to sell those pages at his booth. But obviously with, you know, no cons for this foreseeable future, this is kind of a cool way for people to snag one of those. Basically the only time that you can. Um, and then of course our top primo backer level, um, you will actually get drawn into issue one and die a really horrible death. <laughs> nice. So <laughs> how much is that one? 150 nice nice yeah so uh and i we've had so with tarnished we had pretty good luck with uh some people being really interested in that they want to get drawn into the sequel to tarnished um so we're i think 
with this, that'll be even more um, exciting for people because you get to die horribly. And, and who doesn't want to like die in a horror story? You know, I mean, everybody <laughs> does. It's, it's like it's like it's a, a life goal, right? <laughs> I, I, know. I think so. I've got to draw myself into one of these. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> we got to do like some kind of Hitchcock cameo. Yeah. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> That's awesome. So well, I, you kind of did with Jasper, right? You made him a ginger because of me. So, true. Yeah, yeah. I can neither confirm nor deny. Um, <laughs> oh, you're getting called out. <laughs> <laughs> I just said I said sent him that message. I was like, I think I think Jasper needs to have red hair. I think I thought you'd appreciate that. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> The, the hillbilly kid and I totally grew up in a rural farming community and I'm like, oh, okay, all right, I see how this is. <laughs> hey, let me oh, have a shade. Oh, shade. It just it, it fit the palette really well, you know. It's it's all coincidence. It's all it's all subjective, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Any likeness is not is not intentional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we need some disclaimers on right. the book. I, I, I actually put that disclaimer in my first book I did a long time ago. And the book I did is literally based off of my friends and me. Like they have the same, <laughs> the same exact names. Like I just used their names. So I was uncreative back then. And I put, you know, <laughs> any likenesses unintentionally, even though it's literally based off of all my friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I said it, it's it. not intentional, even though they have the same names. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, so the original pages, do you have, are you just, is it like at random or do you get the people who buy that get a pick a page? How does that work? They get pick. I mean, First come, first serve, though, you know? Yeah, yeah uh, I think that's how we did it with Tarnished, is I, in your backer survey for that level, I was just like, do you have a, because by then you've got the PDF, do you have a page in mind? Or, you know, I'll probably be like, what's your top three, so that we don't have, hopefully don't have any overlap. Right. But, so if I verbally commit to buy one of those now, can I pick? I am I suppose, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? I'm, I'm down. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, they're all at your house, so if you want to... Put a sticky note on it. I think we're good. I do have sticky notes. I do have sticky notes. I'm good. Good. Placements are, are great. Cool. Cool. Yeah. No. Because I'll buy. I'll back at that level. Because that sounds cool. I like. I like. Like I said, I like the art. The art is no. No. No offense to the story. Cause I read the story a second, but the art is literally why I mentioned saying, "Hey, come on the show." <laughs> oh, very cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think. I mean, really, I think that's why most people are going to get into this because Patrick's art is so cool. Um, it is super I cool. Feel that we could like strip the we could strip the story out and you could really just follow along and kind of understand what's happening from the art, which is super <laughs> important. So, I mean, I'm fine taking a back seat on this one because <laughs> the art is pretty, pretty awesome. So. It's definitely beautiful for sure. It's, I, that's <laughs> two, why I like two it. Two kind, sir. It's too kind. Cool. Cool. And yeah, cause one of the, my thoughts was like, Hmm, I wonder if I can get in the draw comic for me. Cause it's super cool. But that's, <laughs> oh, we get we well, you know, we've got our contact info now. Exactly, exactly. No, because <laughs> I'm always on, to explain that comment there. I I'm, my series Einstein Anthology, which is the horror series I do, it's short stories, mm. and I'm always looking for people to work on the short stories with me for like oh, art stuff. Yeah. And I saw the art. I, I was I'm actually about to start working on or finishing up book two to put on Kickstarter, and there's a couple of stories okay. I need to draw on. So I've always I peruse Twitter for people's artwork. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. So that's how I've hired. I think I've hired four artists off of Twitter, just looking at just looking at what they post, and and writers too. Nice. So I was like, eh, yeah, what's this? What's this? Well, we'll have to get your contact list too when we start branching out, and uh, yeah. we need somebody to work on our. Uh, yeah, maybe you could write a story in our universe. Here. I'd be happy yeah, to. Dude. Be awesome. Yeah, and I, I definitely give you my list. I've, I've worked with some pretty amazing artists around the world that have turned out some incredible stuff for at a really 
really good rates and really quickly. So <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to, yeah, we'll have to put our heads together on this one for sure. For sure. Cause that's how comics work. You work together and make awesome shit. <laughs> yep. That's, yeah. that's what's really cool about it. Amen, brother. <laughs> so the next question I have for you is one I usually ask everybody on Kickstarter, and usually I get I get mixed answers from it, and not because it's a hard question, but because people just don't know the answer to it. Um, you have issue zero going on Kickstarter, you know, relatively a couple of days. By the time this airs, it'll be it'll be live. Um, so everybody listening can just click on the link down in the description below. Uh, how how quickly or how soon do you think you'll have the next issue ready to go? Oh, geez. Um, you know, <laughs> that is, that is actually something that I've been debating because I want to know, well, A, I want to see how successful this Kickstarter is going to be. And I, I'm pretty confident it's going to be successful. But um, oh, yeah. I'm wondering how frequently we can get away with doing it. Um, because just for me, when, it's, when we're going to have this ongoing plot, do people want to wait every six months to find out what happens next? Or do they want to get one like every 60 to 90 days? You know, And that's, I think that's hard because there's a little bit more of a commitment from the reader to back a Kickstarter than to just go down to your local shop and pick up you know, that month's issue of Batman or something. Yeah. So I got to figure out really how, how frequently we can get away with doing it. I, I don't know, Patrick, what do you think in terms of drawing it and, and uh, going through this uh, incredible, I mean, cause my part is, is quick and easy. And then I just like hound everybody else like, Hey, how are we doing? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. So the, the first caveat is the, the more people who, who back our Kickstarter, the, the quicker the rest of it will come out. Um, because as a, you know, it's creator and project here, we need support from, we need, we need a readership uh, just to support that work. So the more people that get on there and back it, the quicker for sure. Um, I will just say that I met our August deadline for these pages. So whatever we end up setting, it'll it'll be ready. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think every you know every few months is doable production wise for me. So it's really just about uh, you know how much Discordia can you all read. It's yeah, true. How much, I mean, how much crazy shit can people handle, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, my unofficial like pipe dream was like maybe we could do a launch sometime in October just to kind of line up with Halloween for the issue one because it's a horror series, and I don't know if that will actually help us or hurt us. That might just be me. That would be cool. I trying to be hopeful, but <laughs> I don't know. I did my horror comic in February, the month of love, and it worked out pretty well, which was I was very surprised by. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the best month of the year. That's my um, my birthday's in February. So. Oh, okay, oh, happy all right. Birthday. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I so I don't know. That's I was kind of like hoping that we could get it turned around quickly enough, get it into people's hands, and then do a launch in October. But I don't know if that's reading into it too much, or maybe we'll just knock it right out of the park um, and be able to pull that off. We'll see. That'd yeah. be cool. Uh, yeah, I think I, I, turn, I mean, if you could turn around to like to October, that'd be good because I think it's for Kickstarter books, um, so doing single issues, uh, that's a you know a good turnaround time uh, from issue to issue, like you know three months, four months, something like that would be good because it is creator owned. It is you know you're making it and then putting it out after after the fact, so you get paid after the work, which is always backwards thinking, but it works out sometimes. Um, sure, but no, I'm. I always wonder about that. The question I, I asked that question kind of uh, self indulgently a little bit because I'm like, how often should you re- release something on Kickstarter? You know, when do, when do people? I have people that I've follow on Kickstarter. I've been 
using Kickstarter for a long time as far as buying books because I like to buy indie books. Mm-hmm. I think indie books is where all the fun's at. Um, I don't read yeah, so totally. I don't read a lot of DC Marvel anymore, not because I don't like it, but just because I find that there's more fun in the indie world because you get more creative stories because they're not beholden to big companies, you know, saying, "Oh no, you can't do that." Um, sure, yeah. But I found like there's some people who put out like a book a month, and I feel like that's too much for Kickstarter for new stuff because then people get bogged down with not being able to find new stuff. And then I have some people <laughs> yeah. that are like every year, every two years, I'm like, that's that's not that's not enough because then I'm like, then I forget about you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, so. I think because I think the real crux of the issue is that um, I mean, assuming you're doing a physical release and not all digital, mm-hmm. you got to be able to get it into their hands before, yeah. like. I don't want to have somebody be running the Kickstarter for issue two before anyone's read issue one because right. they might be like, well, for all we know, these guys can't sustain a longer narrative. And after once they moved on from the shorts of issue zero, their story went to shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> like, we got to have enough lead time that they've actually got it and read it. And then we can say, okay, now come back for the next round instead of, you know, I feel like every month there's no way you could do a physical release and get it into their hands before you're asking them for money again. And I kind of feel like that's in bad taste. Yeah, not bit, unless but. you already have it done and printed, ready to go. You can mail it out right when it ends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're just using the Kickstarter as like a pre-order system, not to actually finance it, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which I mean, there's some logic to that, maybe, but yeah, I, I feel like every month is 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 a lot. Um, but it's the same thing with like the difference between like uh, a weekly TV show as opposed to like a movie or a, or a trilogy of movies or something like that. Right? right, right. It's like you're dribbling out the content as opposed to trying to put it into a bigger, more condensed, more like theatrical release. Yeah, I mean. You know, if we <laughs> if we were one of those very few Kickstarter success stories where we could do this full time because we're like making fifty grand a pop or something, sure, maybe we could do every month. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any other work obligations. But with both of us having real day jobs and Jesus. you know, I've got a kid and everything else, like that's if you that would a, be a lot. That if, would be a lot. If so. you could do a fifty grand a month on a Kickstarter every month, oh my god, that'd be in- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be yeah, awesome, yeah. but. What would you do? <laughs> Big time. Yeah, very, very unlikely. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I mean, I see some really successful, like the few and cursed, they do like 30 to 40 an issue, but they only do a couple issues a year. Yeah. So I, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I just, I don't really know what the market could sustain, especially right now with everything going on with COVID and stuff um, and money being tighter. Yeah. Trying to do, you know, more than probably every two and a half, three months might be, might be kind of crazy. Even if we could produce it in that amount of time, just like expecting people to reach into their wallet that many times. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand though, perhaps people have more time on their hands to, to sit and read a book. So this is true. Yeah, that's true. I've read way more yeah. on COVID than I ever did before. Cause I have more time now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Right. I, I finally <laughs> like completely finished BPRD and oh, nice. uh, Hellboy in hell. And yeah, <laughs> I was nice. like been waiting. I was like, Oh man, I've got like, I don't know, eight Omnis left in this series. Am I going to be able to get through this? And then I got laid off for 45 days and I'm like, Jeez. yes, I can. So, <laughs> All the time in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. I just, uh, I'm almost finished with reading, uh, becoming Superman, J. Michael Krasinski's autobiography. And dang, okay. it's, I don't know if you've read that or heard of it before, but that dude, his, his early years were just completely nuts. And yeah, it's, I haven't read it. But it's horrible. Like his, it is his childhood was terrible. And yeah. 
his parents tried to kill him. I mean, it's it, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 at, Lord. I'm at the point now where he's in college and starting to write and do stuff, and it's like getting a little bit better for him. But his dad's still around, and his dad's a, in the book is a huge asshole. And it's like we had him on the show. Wow. Um, we had him on the show like I think in February it was, and he 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 talked about the book a little bit. But he's a, he's a super nice like positive dude. And then I read the book, and I'm like, how are you so nice and positive? Your childhood was complete and utter shit. Like the worst Jeez. I've ever seen. But it's been yeah. really it's been really interesting to read through this and and like watch this guy's journey from basically poverty and getting beat by his parents to you know an incredible writer creating comics and TV right. shows and movies. That's super cool. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna have to read it now. Yeah, it's yeah. you should. Yeah, you absolutely should because it's the per, his perseverance alone is just, is, is insane. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, in, that's awesome. For lack of being lame, it's inspiring. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's okay. Some stuff has to be right. Right. So um, I think I have two more questions for you for this, and then we'll see where that goes. Uh, see how your answers are. Um, first question is, how, how are you guys handling COVID? How's, that, how's it treating you guys? Uh, <laughs> constant crushing existential dread. I don't know. <laughs> That's so normal. Yeah. it's uh, It's been interesting. So, like, I'm back to work now. Um, you know, we're wearing masks all the time, of course. Um Finally, <laughs> which is, yeah, that's been a struggle with uh, some employees of mine that don't want to do that. But um, overall, I, I'm very fortunate financially. I was okay. I was one of the few lucky people that I got my unemployment payments like immediately. Oh, nice. And by the time I came back to work 45 days later, I had coworkers coming back to work that still hadn't gotten one check yet. Uh. And we got laid off at the same time. Yeah. So... I just rolled the. I just had a lucky roll of the dice. So uh, as far as that goes, I've been okay. Uh, we did just have a confirmed case at my job, so I have to go do the drive-through test tomorrow, which sucks. How oh, fun! <laughs> yeah. Those are no fun. I have my brain scraped. Right. Yep. Yep. I've been very lucky. I work. I work remote. Um, well, I work remote now, uh, but my job. I used to go to the office, yes. but as soon as COVID happened, my whole my whole company went remote. Like every all two thousand employees went work from home. And uh, yeah. my wife works for the same company, so we've been we've been very fortunate in the fact that we haven't lost any wages or any work. We've been able to work f- still full time just here at the house, and uh, um, it's been okay for us. Besides the fact that we have five kids here, so having five kids at home is all the time <laughs> is kind of a nightmare. But uh, you know, oh, good lord, yeah, I've got just the one, and that is hard enough to be creative when you have a three year old that's. <laughs> trying to get your attention all day long so. right right i just have a mean dog and we're already sick of each other too so <laughs> well, so you don't know this but i've already had my six-year-old and my nine-year-old come in here during the interview to ask me questions about if they can play video games or not <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to see it but they're very good yeah. at being quiet they know that when you know when because you be working i do i mean i do uh I do calls all the time for work meetings and stuff and they know if they see me have headphones on they come and they tiptoe in really quiet and they talk and they whisper in my ear real quick so They've learned to be super quiet when we have headphones on. <laughs> They've perfectly dialed in the decibels to not yeah. get picked up by the mic. <laughs> Pretty much. Except that, for sometimes my, sometimes my six-year-old will slam the door on his way out. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, You're so close. You yeah. always had it. That's awesome. Yeah, my my little guy is downstairs with my wife right now. And um, for all these guest appearances we've been doing, because they've been like in the mornings and stuff, um, it's been pretty good. But the 
the actual podcast that I'm on regularly, he gate crashes often and like comes up because we do it on a Zoom call with video. And right. he comes up and he like looks at the camera and then he's <laughs> like, hello. And he's like trying to <laughs> jump on my computer and then he'll be like, call grandpa. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing. Go downstairs. <laughs> What's your podcast? Uh, it's called um, – Gothic Dreadful Theater 3000. <laughs> so we, um, it's a college professor, adjunct, whatever we want to call him, instructor that's a good friend of mine. Um, he does audiobooks. Oh, cool. And um, especially primarily like pulp fiction, public domain stuff. So what we do is we listen to the audiobook of just the cheesiest like horror science fiction pulp that we can get away with. And then we just riff on it the whole time while we drink. Nice. Um, so right now we're doing Varney the vampire, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> like, one of the craziest pieces of vampire fiction ever. Um, we've done some Lovecraft shorts and some other stuff of that nature, but we're, we're working through Varney. When we get done with that, we're probably going to do Sweeney Todd. Um, nice, it's, yeah. It's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, it's it's basically just a mystery science theater without the video component. Uh, you just hear us in one side laughing hysterically at how cheesy <laughs> the writing is going on in the other. So nice. Yeah, it's it's fun. That sounds that sounds kind of great, actually. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it, it's been pretty fun. I mean, we before COVID, we met in person at the at his office, and you know, we drank a Montiato out of these like just gaudy goblets that are. <laughs> have like Celtic designs and just totally have to be out of the skulls of your enemies, right? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, just totally, totally get into it. So it's it's a little different, remote, but it's uh it's still a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like it's fun. I mean, you, you kind of have to have those uh, iconic gauntlet drink out of with a name like you know Gothic Dreadful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Lean in, lean in. That's right. Lean oh, into, lean into it. I mean, you have to. And these days, yeah. I think it's funny. Growing up, if you leaned into anything, you were lame and stupid. I grew up in the nineties. Mm-hmm. So if like, if you had any interests that weren't like, you know, what every else at school liked, you were stupid. And now it's like, right, right. everybody Super leans cringe. into everything. And it's like, yes, lean into it. Have fun with it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> like everybody my age makes fun of TikTok dancers and shit. And I'm like, no, let them have fun. Fuck it. They're having, great, they're dancing. It's fucking cool. They're moving. Who cares? Yeah, I was just talking to Chris just messaged me while we were like getting set up. And he's like, we should do some TikTok advertising before, <laughs> yeah. uh, before it gets banned. And I was like, Chris, you're going to have to do that. You're younger than me. I don't think I can take it. I younger than you by like a year. <laughs> Still younger. All right, old Still man. counts. <laughs> I actually started a TikTok for my art stuff and I have my daughter do it. <laughs> she's not, she's 12. There you go. And I'm like, here, Perfect. you, you manage this and you make all the videos and I'll, you just tell me what you want me to do. And we'll figure out, I don't do dances, but like she just does, she just feels like of me drawing or of the art and stuff and has she puts the music and the tiktok transitions on it and shit and i'm like oh, this is kind of cool and they they search surprisingly do really well on tiktok and i, I didn't, wasn't expecting that um and she's mad at me because my her videos of my art does way better than her videos of her dancing <laughs> oh no oh, no. <laughs> oh. but getting. i kind of love it because i i kind of get I'll, I'll watch them and they're so ridiculous and i'm like my um uh from my friend to like tiktok's so stupid i'm like well yes but that's kind of the point <laughs> Sure, sure. That's okay sometimes. Yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, I'm not yeah, going to go. I'm, I'm not going to go dance on there, but it's funny to watch people do these like ridiculous things. So, sure, 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 sure. So, my last question for you uh, is: Is there a piece of horror or supernatural fiction, whether it's a, a comic book, a book, a short story, a poem, a movie, a TV show, whatever, that stands out to you as being something that everybody should 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 partake in? 
Oh, well, I mean, maybe this is just obvious, but like stuff like the thing, the the John Carpenter's the thing, yeah. alien, holy alien, like that stuff is just too good to miss. So if for some reason you haven't seen any of that yet, <laughs> what are you doing with yourself? Shame on you. Right? Yeah, we, we you haven't watched life. alien. My yeah. God. <laughs> Come on. But maybe that's too, too obvious of an answer. I don't know. Maybe I'll think I'll try to think of a, I mean, that, that, is a, that is a pretty obvious answer, but you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know. Pan's Labyrinth, another huge one. Oh, that one's good. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm sure everybody's familiar with Hellboy, but, like, if you really dive into some of Mignola's, like, horror work, you get deeper into Hellboy or BPRD. There's some really good stuff in there. Baltimore, um, uh, Patrick's a Joe Golem fan, um, mm-hmm. and I feel like those have had kind of an impact on me and the way that I come up with stories and horror in comics. Um, you know, honestly, something that I really, really like that I think we're moving away from the amount of people who are familiar with the original is actually the novel Dracula. Um, yeah, that job. is a book that I have read multiple times. It is actually one of my favorite books of all time. And everybody knows the story because of the, you know, million adaptations and almost none of them are like really do it justice for real right um yeah you know it's epistolary so it's all letters and newspaper clippings and stuff so that's that's a little different writing style that maybe modern readers aren't into but it is it is a solid book oh it's great i feel like everybody should at some point like just at least try i mean if it's not for you it's not for you but i i mean i feel like everybody should read dracula once Yeah. yeah good shout good shout we're actually having uh, is it I can't remember is like uh, Doc Christoker, his great grandnephew on the show here talk about his what he writes here uh, in a week or two. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's that's badass. Yeah, I've, that's I've super seen, cool. Yeah, I've seen some of his stuff. I haven't read it yet, and then I I saw um, it's being retranslated. I I cannot remember. It was like the Dutch translation or something mm-hmm. of Dracula, and when it came out in the. 70s or something like that the the translator didn't really like the book so he rewrote the plot <laughs> and every, and it wasn't until recently that people realized that it's like almost a whole different book and now that's being retranslated into english and i'm totally going to pick that up because oh my god that's amazing like <laughs> yeah from like cool, a yeah. weird historical perspective it's kind of like I'm kind of a nerd with film and these kind of things, but like back in the day with the universal monsters, mm-hmm. rather than do a dub track for foreign language films, they got a new director and a new cast. And so like Spanish Dracula is <laughs> considered to be the superior film to the Bella Lugosi version from oh, really 31, what? I think, uh, cause cinematically like the actor that, um, portrays Dracula isn't anywhere near as iconic as Bella was, but, cinematically um they did a bunch of stuff that was super cutting edge for the time their camera placement the transitions way way cooler and so of course i've got you know the blu-ray box set of all the old universal monster movies and i watched both and i'm like yeah okay this one is better um really that's so cool (laughs) yeah so this dracula like unofficial rewrite reminds me of that because it goes into another language and they have to, he actually just redid the whole thing and told it his way (laughs) instead of just translating it. And then now you can, we're getting to a point where you can actually compare both. And I think that's just so weird, but so cool. (laughs) That is weird. Is the Spanish Dracula in that box set? Uh, yes. Yeah. It's like a special feature on the Blu-ray for just the, the normal Bella Lugosi Dracula. That's cool. Um, 
yeah, it's it's worth a watch. It's it really if you're into film history at all and seeing how the medium has evolved, definitely worth a watch. So that is cool. I love the old monster movies. Uh, they're so great. We're actually doing an episode with uh, Kelly Jones because he's a big fan of those too. Um, talking about oh, yeah. uh, the old universal monsters because they're just. I'm a big horror fan, and I always like to go back to the older stuff and kind of just look at it, look look at it from the lens, trying to look at it from the lens of when it came out versus the lens of today because it's those are two very very different lenses. And uh, yeah, totally. You know, I I, I love Dracula, and I've, I've actually I've actually every now and then I look up like I always want to get um maybe, obviously not a, a first printing of the book because I can't afford that, but an earlier printing of the book. And recently on eBay, a a, a first printing that was actually signed by Bram Stoker was sold for like forty five thousand dollars. <laughs> Dude, yeah, those those oh. original printings are so holy much. shit. That's yeah. cool though. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. like, this yeah. is so cool, and I'm like, I cannot afford that. <laughs> yeah, not not in this lifetime, boy. No, no, never. <laughs> I mean, so I was that weird kid in like high school English where um, you got to pick your own book, but it had to be considered a classic. It had to be on this list, mm. and I was able to convince the teacher to let me do Dracula, and she had this big quote board. And you had to like write your favorite quote from the week or whatever from the book you're reading for this project. And I'm always up there like, you know, the children of the night, what music they make or, you know, for the dead travel fast and like writing all these things. And everybody else has got, you know, war and peace or something else up there. And they're like giving me the side eye. And I'm just like, what? This is a fucking good book. Like, this, is way, this is way cooler. <laughs> yeah, way cooler. So it's, it's true, though. It's true. Yeah. That's funny. I like I like old books. Like I, I have a bunch of old books. So I think one. I think just the covers or the the hard cases they had on back in the day were just way cooler. And I managed to find oh, yeah. one time at um, I was at St. Vinny's or Goodwill or some secondhand store, and I found an 1878 copy of Faust. Um, oh jeez! For like a dollar, and then like two <laughs> day, like literally two days later, I found like an 1848 copy of Dante's Purgatory. Oh my god! What? Yeah, and then like a month That's later, so cool. a month later, I found an in uh, uh, a version of um, Rendered Kipling's Vampire uh, Vampire something. I can't remember what it's called, but it's still in like in the box encasing it came in. So the book, it's like a little little poem book inside the box it came in. I found that like, again. It's been like a month. I found these three books for a grand total of like five dollars, and I was like. Holy shit. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's nuts. Uh, well, if you uh if you ever make it down to our neck of the woods and come to Albany, um our local bookstore browsers like they specialize in antique books. Oh, Obviously, nice. you're not going to pay the goodwill price. Right, right, right. <laughs> but uh they've got a lot of cool like their Facebook page. He's always like posting pictures of just these crazy, awesome original covers from yeah, eighteen nineties books, and I'm just like, oh man, I wish I could afford those. <laughs> there's there's three books that I'm always in the lookout for whenever I go to any bookstore, and one of them is, and they're just it's all nerdy stuff, but one of them is the 1942 uh, Adventures of Superman book by George Lothar, right? Okay, it's the first Superman novel right. ever to come out. It's as written by Lothar, has paintings by Schuster in it. Um, I actually yeah. have I have like seven copies because I went insane one time and bought a bunch of them. Um, well, <laughs> just different different printings, or no, just every, the, any time you can get all it? the same printing. Well, there's, there's only two. Oh, there's only okay. two printings of that book. There's a first edition printing forty two, and then there's a, a reprint from ninety five. And that's that's really it. Um, yeah. But I, I, my dad has one. Had one. My dad passed away a few years ago from cancer, but he had one that I got that was you know with the dust jacket and everything and really nice. And then I always looked it up. And whenever I said this book at like conventions, it would be selling for like five hundred dollars a piece, right? Even without dust jacket, adding the dust jacket adds another like thousand dollars to what it used to, and so like 
when my dad passed away, I decided, well, I have five kids. I need to make sure I have five of these books to pass down. I, I was, like I said, I was not in a good headspace. So I, <laughs> I would I would peruse eBay for this book to get listed, and I would find ones that would sell for like super cheap or have list, mis, mislabeled names on them, and ended up getting like mm-hmm. six more copies for a, the most I paid for them was like $25. Damn, that's sick. Yeah, and then now you can't find them online for less than 250 or $200, and it's, it's kind of funny. Now I have a stack of them, like, and now I'm like, what am I doing with all these books? <laughs> You've cornered the market. Right. <laughs> yeah, bought them all. Right. Yeah, I, I do that with some of my favorites. I think Lord of the Rings, I own multiple different versions of Lovecraft. I own his complete fiction like six or seven times over. And my wife is always like, why are you buying this again? I'm like, well, this is a different version. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> Does it say anything different? Well, no, but it has a different cover or, you know, maybe there's different typos or whatever. And she's just like, you're, you're insane. Yeah. And then the, <laughs> The other books I look for is um, uh, Selection of the Innocent and Parade of Pleasure, which those two books I've always wanted. I've always wanted to own a copy of those two, um, just because of the, oh, the books yeah. that dive into why comic books are horrible for kids. <laughs> yes, um, I would love to have Seduction of the Innocent. And I, yeah, I like uh, EC comics a lot. So, <laughs> Dude, I, I decided I, I wanted to start collecting EC horror comic books, and then I realized I can't afford EC horror comic books because they're too expensive. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, big classics there. Yeah, unless unless I go like the reprints, the hardbacks. But if I want any originals, I mean, if I want to collect them, it's like they're so pricey per book. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, if I just go for the dark horse like hardbacks that yeah. they did, because there's <laughs> I'm just and the I don't have the storage space to for that many right. comics right now. So right, who does? It adds I mean, up. It adds up. I love comic books, but I've I've gotten to at one point in my comic book reading reading and collecting career i had like 250 long boxes of books which oh, is way, way too many comics i'll just say you know <laughs> uh i think i think now i have a total of like i think of like 25 short boxes left that's it um and okay that's, yeah, that's that's manageable yeah that's not too bad i mean and most and probably half of that is books i got from my dad when he passed away you know like books that because my dad my dad collected comic books for the kids so he would like instead of putting money into a college fund he would buy comics there you go. Yeah. So like my 12 year old has a full set of uh, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane from like one to one thirty, And then my son has a full <laughs> set of Jimmy Olsen. So he, he put together these full sets of silver age comic books. He's like, well, I can buy these cheap. This is more fun. And they'll go up, they'll go up in value. And he was not wrong. Um, yeah. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> so all <laughs> my kids have these little collections. Awesome. So all, but all those add up to be, you know, more. And then he collected Superman. So I have like Superman number six and like on and Superboy number two and some other ones in wow. there. Wow. And so I have most most of what I have left is stuff from him, but then I have the stuff that I bought, like I have my Sandman collection, and then my Daredevil collection, all the okay. all the indie comics that I've bought over the years, and stuff I like that I've read. Most of the ones mm-hmm. that I've bought, I've ones that I've bought and read. But then I have right. all, all his old Golden Silver Age stuff, which is cool because like I love you know reading the old stuff and like actually holding the book in my hand, even though I'm afraid I'm gonna, I might break it, but I just love reading it. <laughs> yeah, you have oh, to. You have to. Yeah, you have yeah. to read them. You have. That's one thing I don't like about. We were off on a huge tangent here, but like I'm not a big fan of CGC and great and graded comic books because mm. comic books are meant to be read and enjoyed. And once you put it into a, a slab, you can no longer read and enjoy it. Yeah, I always was a take the toys out of the box kind of a same of a person. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> right. If I can't play with it, I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's, the, big, uh, that's a big part of it for me for sure. That's the one like restriction that my wife has well okay the one that has stuck <laughs> that she's put on my collecting is that i can't get anything slabbed because yeah. then she that's her thing is what is the point if you can't open it and read it i don't right. want you to have it because then you just have it to have right and, right 
Like, okay, that's fair. That's, that's fair. Very wise. Very wise. Yeah. The only thing I have, I have a couple of books slab because they came that way. And then I, I, slab, I did, I did slab a couple of my dad's books just to like keep them where they were at. And I already read them, but sure. you know, I don't, I don't, I don't buy graded comic books. I, I don't look for them. Um, I, the only thing I'll buy graded is like, if I buy something, like I just picked up a copy of amazing Spider-Man one one which is the first print of Morbius. Okay. Uh, but oh, I, are you excited for the movie coming out? Yeah, it's gonna be cool. But I bought this book specifically because the movie's coming out, and I got it for cheap. Uh, <laughs> so when it comes okay, out, yeah, I'll just, yeah, when yeah. it comes out, I'll just resell the book. You know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. smart. <laughs> I don't do that very often anymore because I just I used so I used to own a comic book store, right? And I um, would buy and sell books all the time. Uh, but yeah. I've kind of gotten out of that. I, I really don't like. I really don't like exclusives. I, I mean, I love exclusives. It's, it's a hard line. Like I don't like I love exclusives that shows, but I don't like the fact that a lot of dealers go buy exclusives that shows and then resell them for like four times the value. So the people who actually want it can't afford it, you know? Yeah. It gets a little yeah, gets a little confused there at some point. Right, right. And to go because I go to San Diego Comic Con every year and I go down there and there's these people who wait in line mm-hmm. for hours and like majority of these people are dealers, not the actual people who want the book or want the the toy or whatever. And it just it frustrates me. But Yeah. I, I went to San Diego a few years back and I was working at somebody else's table and it was sort of my first experience going to a big show like that. And that very much weirded me out. Like that people are like racing around yeah. like during, like before the general, like uh admittance or general, uh, you know, whatever, before everybody actually gets in, yeah. try to buy up all of the exclusives. And I was like, what, what, what is this? This sort of missing the point here, guys. Yeah. It, what are we doing? This yeah. exclusive should be for the people who want it, not for people who want us to go resell it. And it's like, I mean, it's, it's, it's thankfully they've, they've, they've overloaded cons with exclusives these days. So there's so many exclusives that a lot of them don't go super up in value. So people sure. can still buy them, but that's good at least. Yeah. Anymore. It's just like, I, I'm not going to lie. When I first started going to cons, I had a comic book store. So I was, I did, I did it too. But then, yeah, a couple I mean, years. you kind of have to, right? Right. Well, I mean, that's literally how I paid going to San Diego for three years was by the exclusives, literally paid for all the yeah. entire trip, you know? Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. But then I was yeah. like, but then I was, I, you know, after I got a little older and wiser, I'd say, I don't know, but I was just like, I just, I always felt a little guilty about buying something for $10 and then reselling it for 300 the next day. <laughs> Yeah, there's something a little backwards about it. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Made me feel a little guilty. I mean, I enjoyed the profit margin for sure, but I, I was a little guilty sure, about it. Sure. <laughs> right. Well, and as like a as like a wannabe collector of things that has like this OCD, like I got to have a all mentality, I hate when something is exclusive and I get into a hobby <laughs> after the fact and then yep. I can't track it down. So like that's something with – with the Kickstarters that we're doing and with the variants, like I've toyed with, well, do I want to make one of these like a Kickstarter exclusive variant? And then I'm always like, but I don't want to punish people that hear about Discordia on issue three. And they're like, oh, that cover was really cool back on zero, but I can never get it. Like I just ran into that with an indie book. I missed one of their Kickstarters and they were doing a hardcover. And the only way they were doing it was if you backed it. And I was like, do you have any extra? Is there any way I can get one? They said, sorry. We, yeah. we did a print-on-demand limited run, which I understand why they were doing that right. scale-wise. Yeah, the logistics but it, of that. But. Yeah, but it still sucks. Like It just feels bad, and I'm like, oh, so now I'm, I'm missing this this piece of this collection right. that I want. So <laughs> I don't want to do that to people. Right. So I feel like variant covers and anything like that will probably always be accessible somehow on our website or yeah. somewhere just because I don't want to be that dick. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> I have a, I have a love hate with variant covers. Like I love them and I hate them. Yeah. I, I love variant covers because it allows you to have more artwork out there. And, and as an indie creator, it allows you to have more sales because people buy them basically selling the same book twice with a different cover, which is 
which is great. Um, but I hate the variant covers are like one in 10, one in a hundred that the big companies do. Cause then you're punishing mm-hmm. the stores for not buying enough. And then it's right. I, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of that. Cause I have a lot of friends who own comic stores nowadays. And it's like, yeah, they, they do the one in a hundred. So you buy a hundred copies of the books, you sell the variant, but then you're stuck with 90 copies of the book. Yeah. Right. And you're you're like artificially inflating the yep. value of the variant while deflating the the value of the, the actual, standard cover. Yeah. Like and, and inflating I, the, I was the sale. To that with Conan and it's just like oh, God. every issue of Conan, there's like twenty variants. And I'm yeah. like, okay, well there's there, what what do you do with this? Like right. I three or four is fine. Right. You know, or on special issues, maybe one variant per normal issue but like trying to track like 25 variants on issue one of conan when they got the rights back i was like what Dude. are you doing or like harley <laughs> that, quinn harley, one, harley quinn rebirth. So cool too yeah <laughs> yeah like harley quinn rebirth there was like 88 variants i was like come on oh my god yeah and there was uh, a <laughs> take, uh, take me out coach right there's, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a spider-man issue i can't remember what issue it was but it had like 777 variants it was like amazing spider-man like 690 i don't know it was some weird issue but it had like, yeah, because they, it was the first one at time Marvel did store variants. So they allowed stores to buy. If the store bought 500 copies, they'd get their own variant cover. Oh. And a bunch of stores oh, went in yeah. on it. And there was like 700 yeah. and some variants. And there's a story. There's a great story line of a guy who who spent his life tracking down all of them and got all of them. And you know, oh, man. He had to. I, I, I'm pretty sure that he, the one. So there's a store in Seattle, um, Golden Age Collectibles, that did, that did this for that cover. And I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that I was, I can't remember if, the, if it was the right guy or not, but I, I went and bought one there for, for somebody because they were trying to collect all of the covers and they ended, up, they ended up getting it all too. But it's like, that's a lot. I mean, that's two short, two long boxes of books of just one issue. Uh, just one issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's nuts. Uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm very torn because yeah, the whole, you're getting more art out there, which, you know, on my end, I always appreciate, but yeah. at the same time. That's a lot. There's yeah. probably there's, <laughs> there's got, diminishing returns. There's got to be a cool balance somewhere. <laughs> right, right. And that feels, uh, yeah, I'm not a math surgeon, but 800 <laughs> copies seems like too many. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I felt like, because we've got three variants right now, and we'll have a fourth if we hit the stretch goal. And even I, I was like, all right, I think I'm pushing the line of what's <laughs> yeah. an acceptable amount, you know? <laughs> I did so. I did three I variants like, yeah, in my last. very reasonable. Yeah, I yeah, did. and I, and I don't know if we'll do that many with issue one, or just have like two variants or yeah. something. I don't know, but three is the most. I, I've done three kickstarters for books, and I did two variants in the first two, and I did three variants in the last one, and and they were all simple variants. One of them was like a sketch cover, one of them was a hard cover, one of them was a soft cover. You know, for the last one I did, but then I found out real quick that um, when you get printing quotes for things, make sure the company's not going to go under because my printing company went under halfway through my Kickstarter, so oh, all my prices got oh. completely fucked. <laughs> oh no yeah because i based oh. all my i based my whole kickstarter off of the quote they gave me for the amount of books i wanted at you know a certain hardcover a certain soft cover a certain sketch cover right and then my kickstarter ended and they stopped replying to my emails and i found out that they went under and i was like god oh, damn it uh, well my anxiety is just spiking, yeah but, and, their, uh, and their quote was their quote was really good too <laughs> Right. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually I'm actually Jeez. still trying to find a good place for hard covers that's not gonna break the bank with how many I sold. And uh mm. I got the soft covers done. Soft covers cost me more than what the original quote was just for the soft covers, and I still have to do the hard covers now, but you know, it's all the learning process. <laughs> yeah, for for tarnished, we did. Uh, we use the same print-on-demand company that I do my novels with because I thought it would be easy to just keep it all at the same place. Yeah. But what I didn't realize until we got them is that 
because they're like, oh, we do graphic novels now. And I was like, oh, perfect. But they're uncoded pages still. So they're printed uh, on just normal paper. Right. It looks okay, but it, it's not the same. It's not having gloss. And I was like, oh, damn it. This isn't exactly <laughs> what I was picturing. So now we're doing like a real offset print, obviously, for the, the singles. And when we do a trade or whatever down the road, I'll, I'll be doing an offset print. I'm not going to try to do my print-on-demand company. And <laughs> <laughs> And print companies, man. That's like a whole different. That's a huge. <laughs> That's a yeah. whole podcast in itself. It just is bitching about printing. <laughs> <laughs> I went through like I guess we like a hundred different companies, or not, probably probably not actually that many, but a ton of companies trying to find the right place to print my last book for. Because my first my first two computers were just a, a floppy book of dick and fart jokes, so I didn't really give a shit how it looked. It was, <laughs> it was all dumb, you know, sophomoreish humor and you know, purposefully shitty art. And, uh, sure, sure. and I got him printed through the guy who printed him did a great job is I had a guy off as actually a guy off Facebook who, uh, is a retired, he, he retired from his print company and then basically took a printer home to his big garage and kept doing it for fun, printing comic books. And, um, nice. they came out, I mean, he did a fantastic job, right? He, I printed, I think I printed like nine books through him total and all of them were, were great. But the last book I did was, you know, too big. It was, you know, he doesn't do square bounds, you know, and it was a, a bigger book, a higher quality okay. book. But so I yeah. had to go through, I found the one that I, you know, the one that crapped out on me. But even before that one, I had gone through like 20 different printers talking to them, getting samples and figuring out which one could do what I wanted to do at a price range that I thought was going to be okay. Yeah. And then after they went out, I had to do do that all over again. And, and, it, <laughs> and everybody's got their opinions. And I, I appreciate people's opinions. I'm like, because people have said to me, oh, go with these guys, go with these guys, go with these guys. And I'm like, okay, these are good, but I didn't, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. You know, and then finally yeah, I found one that worked. Right. Yeah. Finally, I found one that worked and it was when I, the one I use, uh, um, they were actually super easy to work with and they got everything right the first try. So I was like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's, that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, by that point when you're actually getting to like to printing your book, you, that's the part you want to just go smoothly. Like you've already had all the stress of running your yeah. Kickstarter and like doing all of the art and doing all the writing. And then to have a hiccup in like the last step is just so stressful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I guess the, the moral of the story is, is that uh, make sure the company is not going to go under, which I don't know how you do that, but just make sure you don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Can, maybe can, you got to get financials, like, please. See if you're going to go under or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or try to get like, you know, your quote you want to go with and then like a backup quote that, you know, you can still make work with your Kickstarter just yeah. in case the first company does go under. Right. Know. Right. And what's, what's funny is I wasn't going to do hardcovers of ours, right? Cause all they're too expensive. But the guy was like, no, no, we can do it for you. No problem. Here's the price. And it's, Oh, it's only a little bit more to do a couple hardcovers. Nope. Dang. All right. Yeah, that, yeah. Oh, he upsold you just like dude right before they go under. Right. Well, I should have known. So his quote for hardcover books <laughs> was like five twenty five a piece. And I was like, Oh, that's, uh, that's really yeah. good. And you go everywhere yeah. else, like, that's nowhere. No, it's a lot more than that to a hardcover. <laughs> yeah, like three times as much. That's, yeah. Wow. So yeah. I should have Yeah, known. that's no wonder they known. went under. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I was yeah. uh, I, I was naive. My first hardcover, I didn't know any better. I was, I was young. I needed the money, you know. Right. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had a restaurant like that in town where they kept like their food was super well priced, like really nice place. Um, and then their their cocktails were like under eight bucks a drink or, or whatever. And my wife and I were just like, 
you guys need to raise your prices. We're really scared because we really like you. And then finally we came in and they're like in line with everybody else. I'm like, oh, good. You know, like I've never been happy about spending more money except I was so afraid that this restaurant, because restaurants are so hard to be profitable anyway. I was like, you guys are going to go under. (laughs) Well, we appreciate the low prices. Charge more, please. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I've never felt that way before, but I was just like, oh, please, God, because they replaced our actual favorite restaurant Uh that Uh. they have to like move and go under. And so then I was like, I can't go through this again. <laughs> they're in this. They're in the same building and everything. And I this was is just, too much stress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> too much I've emotional never... baggage with this. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we've been chatting for over an hour, which uh, I expected to happen once we got into it because you guys are cool. Um, Very cool, man. Yeah. Thanks. So, thanks for having us on. Oh, of course. Everybody listening, go down the show notes below. Click on those links. Go check out Discordia on Kickstarter and read it on Webtoons, and then go back it and. Do all that fun stuff you do. Anything else you guys want to say before you go today? Any final final thoughts, final words? No, man. I just want to say thanks. We really, really appreciate uh, you having us on. It was great chatting with you. And um, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Check it out. And we're back. That was fun. They were a lot of, they were, I mean, I, I didn't know, I planned on doing 30 minutes with them. We talked like an hour and 20 or more. Uh, cut it down to about an hour with, uh, you know, cutting off the stuff you don't need to hear because it's all secret. But, you know, I've actually had a chance to read through a preview copy of this issue and it's, it's really good, guys. So go check it out. I look forward to them doing more in this realm and doing more with Discordia and maybe, uh, you know, doing a little bit of a work with them in the future. So check it out, Discordia on Kickstarter. Make sure you go and either support it or share it. One of the two. I don't really care. I, I do care. I want you to support it and give them money into this book and come out. But if you can't do that, share it out because the sharing helps a lot. All right, guys. I think that's that's a show, man. I'd ask Kenrick if that's a show, but you know, I'm, I'm by myself tonight. Kenrick's not here. So we'll, we'll, just, we'll just wrap this up. But before we go, go to spoilerverse.com. Check out all of our other podcasts, all of our other articles, and all of our other fun stuff we have there. Go to the store link, pick up a t-shirt, a hoodie, or a mask, or something that fly as hell because you know you want to. You know you want to wear a mask in your public because you're not an idiot, so go do that. And with all that being said, that was really fast, so just slow it down to like half speed and you'll be able to understand what I said. But with that, we're out. We've got one more thing to do. And by we, I mean me because I'm the only one here. So I've got one more thing to do. And that is, in oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open mind.